Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, May 31st. We begin with the launch of lower speed limits in residential areas, which goes into effect as of today. We speak with global news reporter Sarah Offen for details on the city's reasoning behind the change from 50 kilometers per hour down to 40 and how citizens are reacting. Next, we look at the new user fees for access to K-Country, which starts tomorrow. We talk with Simon Harvey, general manager of the Mount Engadine Lodge, about the impact the visitor fees will have and the concerns he has on where the money is going. It's that time of the year again, allergy season. We find out just how strong of a season it is this year with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday. This time out, we speak with business coach and author Michelle Bailey on how we can successfully find that sweet spot, the so-called work-life balance. 40 is the new 50. <laughs> now, we're not talking about age here, but speed limits as of today. A majority of residential roads across the city are now 40 kilometers per hour. With more on the move and why council decided to slow us all down, we're joined by Global's Sarah Offen. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning. Well, let's start uh, here, Sarah, with uh, the decision to make this move. Uh, tell us what uh, city council's you know, uh, aim was with it. Yeah, so essentially this is something that was passed back in February, and the city's been talking about it for a long time. We know that there's an average of, of 9,100 collisions every year on uh, on streets that are inside Calgary neighborhoods. So that's really trying to, to target that. Uh, an average of 550 of those crashes um, do result in, in serious injury or death. We've already had uh, six fatal pedestrian collisions in Calgary this year. So, um, you know, that the science shows, and we've seen it in other jurisdictions, Airdrie, for example, where it's 30 kilometers an hour, that it, it does have a big impact on uh, on not only reducing collisions, but in reducing uh, the injuries that happen when those collisions do happen. So, Sarah, do we know what kind of enforcement we'll be expecting from police with this new limit? It will be education first, or are they just going to be laying out the tickets? Yeah, so I spoke with the Calgary Police on this last week um, just to try and get a sense of that. And it was really interesting because the Calgary Police um, are being very careful around their messaging around this. They don't want people to think that this is a cash cow or that this is something they created. So they were very emphatic that this is a city in initiative and it's something that we will support. Um, but they did say that, you know, especially for those areas where where it's unposted, that um, that they are going to take an education first. No timeline on that. So we don't know when they're going to start handing out those tickets. Uh, but we know that there will be some leniency while they wait for Calgarians to kind of uh, get up to speed with the new changes. Now, it's interesting because you... Uh, had texted us this morning about the cost involved to make this change and where we're wondering what does that cost entail or what is under the umbrella of the cost does that mean that every sign in these areas that say 50k will be changed yeah, so so it's interesting because anywhere where you're on the residential streets, you're not going to see anything posted. And for, for the most part, where there's changes, you're not going to see anything posted. Um, but it's on those collector roads, so those ones that actually do have the yellow line. Maybe it's in front of a green space, a business area, that kind of thing. We're along Kensington Road this morning, which you may not think would be one of those roads. Well, it is. It's reduced to 40 kilometers an hour. But essentially, the roads that were not selected to be part of that for that speed reduction they had to go ahead and install 50 kilometer an hour signs in those areas. So essentially the city looked at, you know, how 
long the road was, uh, how fast people were going there beforehand, um, and in terms of deciding which ones would be um, included. So the cost to install those 50 kilometer an hour signs on those collector roads, which don't currently have signs, 2.3 million, and and that's part of what the city was looking at because we know that uh, many city councillors have wanted to go down to 30 kilometers an hour, and by and large, that's something that we expect to happen in the future. We know the city is already designing roadways for a 30 kilometer an hour um, uh, speed limit on residential areas, but they say this is the first step and it's a, it's a cost-effective step because really they only have to make that change in terms of adding those signs uh, where, where things are not going to be changing. Okay, that's so just to be sure, those collector roads, they're just putting the 50 sign up so people know that that road stays 50, it hasn't changed yes. and dropped down to 40. Got it. What are drivers exactly. saying? Have you been able to chat with anybody this morning? Yeah, so we've been talking to people here on Kensington Road, and it's interesting because I know there is resistance from this. You know, people who feel like maybe it's too heavy-handed. If, you know, if the road cautions it that people will go that speed, well, we know that that doesn't happen, to be honest. But, uh, and we know there is resistance, but I have been hearing from people, and, and everybody that I've spoken with here along Kensington Road so far has been supportive of it this morning, saying, you know, I have kids that... Uh, that play out on the street and I want it to be safer for them. Other people saying, you know, that uh, that it's just nice to see that, that people are putting lives first instead of that speed. And really the city is saying that this, this isn't something that really costs people a lot of time. That part of their commute where they're leaving their neighborhoods or going into their neighborhoods is such a small part of their commute for most people Mm -hmm. that this is probably not going to be a change that people are going to even see because most people are already going that speed in their neighborhoods. Uh, It's a a big day, a a big change. Thanks for the update, Sarah. (laughs) You're so welcome. You. That is Sarah Offen, Global Calgary News Reporter. Yeah, we had somebody who said, a texter who said it's going to add about 10 seconds onto my drive, but make a big difference in the end. So starting tomorrow, the new Kananaskis access fee kicks into effect. It's $15 per day or 90 for the season if you want to access the trails and other aspects of K Country. The government says the money will go back into the area to help it keep it clean and safe, but one business operator um, isn't so sure. Simon Harvey is the general manager of Mount Engadine Lodge and joins us now. Good morning to you, Simon. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. First of all, in a statement, you say you're calling for transparency from the province about how the fee is being used. Uh, why do you feel the need to make such a plea? Well, I think, you know, we've got such a special area out here in Kananaskis, uh, record number of visitors coming out Um Definitely the the funds can be used in a variety of ways. Um, We just really want to make sure that there's transparency and accountability uh, and input from from stakeholders in the area for those funds. Simon, have you seen wear and tear in the area because of all the new people that are heading out? Is there a deterioration, say, of the roadways, maybe the pathways even, uh, of uh, recently anyway? Yes, there has been. I mean, last year was a, it was record numbers, but I've been out here for about six years, and the road just just due to increased numbers has been uh, steadily declining in um, in in re- regards to repairs, etc. Um, just with, with the grading, it's not built for for that type of traffic. Um, so you know, you're going through a lot of vehicles. There, there's a lot of flat tires. Uh, us as a staff are, are pulling out a lot of cars through the winter, and, and you're out of cell phone range, so it's a safety issue as well. So I, I mean, we're, we're all for the revenue coming through uh, and, and and the park fee. 
utilized for for emergency services, road repairs, etc. We just want to ensure that uh, that those funds are going back into the Kananaskis area to keep it uh, pristine and beautiful. As mentioned, the Kananaskis access fee goes into effect tomorrow. I'm wondering, because there was some questions surrounding and swirling around it, and we'll get your thoughts as a business owner and some clarification as well. Is this a case that if I want to, you know, stay a night at the lodge or, or pop into one of the establishments, one of the resorts and have dinner, do I still have to pay that fee? Or is this literally for access for the recreation aspects? I, I, our understanding is it's uh, is it is for everybody. You have to you've got to pay it regardless, uh, which is a huge impact, a huge impact on our guests and visitors um, who, are, who are spending their their hard earned money money to come out to, and in, enjoy Mount Engadine Lodge. Uh, that being said, in getting feedback from guests and visitors, I think people are pro the the fee so long as uh, we've got transparency and a guarantee that those funds are going back into the park. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a hiker, I. I get it, understand it. I'm not excited about paying the extra money, but I understand it. And I think if used appropriately, then it's a good thing. So for you, what can the province do to appease you about how that money and those fees are being used and to be sure that it's going to where they say it's going? Well, certainly a conversation would be a start. I think I think a lot of the stakeholders, including ourselves, felt uh, kind of surprised and blindsided by the idea. Um, so it would have been nice to, to have, a, have a conversation. But uh, just a seat at the table to, to discuss and have some input. You know, last year, uh, I know the emergency services were, were run off their feet with, with so many new, mm-hmm. new hikers and new people to the area. Um, you know, you've got conservation officers working so hard. Uh, almost becoming uh, kind of traffic controllers at areas. Um, j- just a laid out succinct plan and some communication um, so we know who's making those decisions, what percentage of, of that $15 a day or 90% or $90 per year is going back into the roads or the emergency services to keep the area sustainable, to protect the wildlife out here and, and keep it uh, an attraction for the long term. Simon, I'm wondering how tight-knit or how communicative you are with the other business owners in the area. Um, Are you folks uh, uh, coming together with this, or is this kind of an individual business owner, uh, you know, taking their own approach? No, I mean, we are a very tight-knit unit out here. Everyone, uh, you know, discusses, especially... In these tougher times uh, with tourism, you know, we've been fortunate that, that Albertans have been so uh, supportive and explorative of the area. You know, that being said, we, uh, yeah, we have bonded together to, um, you know, trying to get as much information and, and answers as, as possible. That being said, it's not a, a negative connotation, you know, and just want to hold the go- uh, government responsible mm-hmm. and have a have a clear and transparent plan. Simon, so, for you, what do you think? Where where are the, the top places that that money should be spent as it starts to roll in? Is it the roads? Is it more sort of park wardens? What do you think? Yeah, very, very good question. Roads is, is number one. Um, you know, it's it's getting to a point of uh, of being dangerous throughout the the winter, especially, but summer as well. Um, but the support for the parks and the conservation officers, uh, emergency services are, are a close second as well. Um, but there's just just so many um, 
so many areas and aspects to to keep this area sustainable um you know education is a big one too for new visitors to the area making sure they they understand of you know going following the speed limit and not uh, endangering animals and uh and just the right etiquette and on the trails and the difficulty of different hikes so we're that sustained pressure mm-hmm. on emergency services, but uh, but ro- roads for for our staff and uh, and all the visitors and the guests to the area um, would, would be the top priority in our mind. Simon, thank you so much for your time this morning. Absolutely, my pleasure. Have a wonderful day. You too. That's Simon Harvey, General Manager at Mount Engadine Lodge, and I think that a lot of people. Would we just if if it's improving the area? Mm. I'm I'm not seeing a ton of pushback here. This uh, texture says I run in the mountains every week. Very busy the last two years. Sure. The fee is needed to keep the places clean and in shape. So let's hope that that's in fact that, yeah, what there happens. It has. That, that I think you know what Simon said, and I think that's what I've heard from most people too who who spend a lot of time in K Country. Nobody's really upset about spending money to make sure that it's kept pristine and and beautiful, and we you know make sure that everybody's safe out there. But how do we be sure that that's where the government is spending 100% of every dollar that's, you know, collected for for us driving into that area? Well, and and I still have a hard time wrapping my head around, you know, maybe you have a favorite restaurant or maybe you just want to get away for an evening and maybe you're not a hiker, Um, you know, or like you want to meet some some friends for lunch and you're meeting you halfway and they're going to meet there. 15 bucks a head to to go and, uh, you know... Uh, spend money at a business and golfing. Maybe, you yeah. want to go golfing, and maybe it's the one time you go, and you have to tack that on. The frequent users, and you, you got to. I understand people are going to say we all have to pay to play, and it's our backyard. But to a certain extent, it might. When it comes to businesses and strictly business, what I'm saying here, you steer people away from the region. Yeah, I I think it's a great question, and and you're right. Maybe if you're golfing or you're going to you know Mount Engadine Resort or that sort of thing, you get fifteen dollars taken off your fee because. That could be the case. How do they? How do they? You know, judge who's going where when you go into K Country. So they have to probably charge everybody. Well, but maybe you get that kicked back uh, from the business when you do go and stay with them or work with them instead of going on some a hike. kind of a deal of sorts. Or but maybe maybe it is on the pathways and the the trails that the bylaw officers and, and rangers are. You know, to a certain extent. Gee, lot, lots going on. We'd love your feedback on on this subject too. Are, are you feeling good about it? Do you spend much time in K Country? If you do, is this a good idea, or will this deter you from ever going? The COVID-19 pandemic has interrupted a lot of different aspects of our lives over the past 14 months. But one thing that continues uninterrupted is seasonal allergies. For allergy sufferers, the struggle is real as we move deeper into spring and into the summer months to discuss. We're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Can we rate this year, Dr. J? How strong is this particular allergy season? Uh, it seems pretty average, as far as I can tell. Uh, but it's funny you say that because every single spring, every single summer is a different adventure for most people. There's some years that are particularly nasty mm. and others that are actually generally good uh, for some people. So every year, you, who knows what's coming for and, us. And it's funny because, you know, you say that, Dr. J, but anytime you talk to somebody who has seasonal allergies, they always say, oh, this is the worst year it's ever been. Oh. <laughs> I'm dying out here. So are there any particular types of allergens we're seeing and experiencing this year that are, are maybe a little bit extra bad? Uh, well, the, I mean, there's a lot of tree pollen out, um, and that's 
in the spring, it's all about tree pollen. In the summer, it's more the grasses that really are the issue. So, yeah, they, uh, when there's a lot of tree pollen out, people are going to definitely be uh, much more active than at other times. Let's talk about allergies in more of a broad sense, if we can, mm-hmm. Dr. J. And that, you know, we all knew people grew up with allergies, maybe had asthma, uh, you know, and it was really flaring up during this time of the year. But, uh, you know, can, can we as an adult just get allergies? It can happen. It is not, that's not the typical story. Usually it is something that uh, is sort of genetically driven and, and comes in childhood or uh, like early on in life. Occasionally there are people who go their entire life and then all of a sudden it's like somebody flips a switch and they get allergic to something. Uh, and that allergy can be quite significant. Uh, but that's really not the typical thing at all. Dr. J, is there anything really that people who suffer from allergies can do other than taking just the typical sort of over-the-counter allergy meds? Yeah, that's that's the mainstay. I mean, the first premise is uh, try to decrease exposure if you can. So if you're somebody who, who really does have trouble with, uh, you know, say with grasses, then get somebody else to cut the grass for you. Uh, now they're all uh, sort of very comfortable with masks. You can wear a mask, actually, and that reduces exposure uh, nasally. It doesn't help your eyes, mind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so decrease exposure, you know, keep your windows closed um, if it, there's a lot of uh, pollen out there. Um, so that at least it doesn't get in your house, you know, avoid exposure outside. After that, it's exactly what you said. It's all over-the-counter meds. And the key there is target the symptom. So if it's all nasal symptoms, then you can use nasal rinses and uh, nasal sprays. Uh, if it's itchy eyes or eye drops that are available, if it's sort of overall just trying to get everything, then anything with an antihistamine uh, property will be very effective. Good stuff. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. J. You betcha. Achoo! You need the sound <laughs> effect. That is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Michelle Bailey is the author of The Currency of Gratitude and is the president and CEO of The Blazing Group, a brand and culture agency. She's got some tips for us on how remote work affects our work-life balance and how businesses can help their employees find ways to better blend the two. Good morning to you, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to being here today. You know, it's it just really is the way things are right now, right? Is that we, we just don't have a lot to do. And, and that at the start seemed a bad thing. And it really has sort of become a, a real positive of late, hasn't it? It has for so many people. We're reaffirming and getting connected with the small things that matter. Okay, but what's really interesting is, you know, we've heard time and time again uh, that work-life balance, uh, but uh, working remotely would mean that you're actually, <laughs> your office is your home. So how has that affected this whole balance? Well, there was never balance to begin with, and I've been preaching that for many years. But what has happened now for many employees is they are working longer hours. Instead mm-hmm. of the commute back and forth to work, which was our transition from home to work and back again, what we are doing now is work and home are one and the same. So what we're finding is people are at their desk and working earlier and later because the hours just seem to blend into one another. And uh, we tend to be more productive, even though we are suffering for most of us from social malnutrition. That is a great term, social malnutrition. So, you know, that's something that's affecting us as employees for the most part. So should bosses care about that? And how, how, how best should they be checking in with employees who are working from home? Bosses should absolutely care. 
because one of the biggest shifts that's happening right now is trying to keep employees engaged and trying to keep up culture and morale. How can we do that when we are not physically together? So what we do, for instance, at the Blazing Group is we have a check-in every morning and we have everyone turn on their cameras so we can physically see them. And by doing that, you often get clues and cues of who is suffering, who is down, who needs a little bit of encouragement. And what the senior leaders in my team do is they follow up with those people one-on-one to make sure that what can we do to help you? You look like you're struggling. What can we do to help you in any way, shape, or form? And it's often the little things like checking in, letting silence do the lifting, being transparent and vulnerable so they can be that right back to you. It's those little things. And as leaders, we have to do this for our people. They are looking up to us, and we are, as leaders, need to show them that they matter and we care. We care a lot. You've uh, chronicled the time that we've had during the pandemic working from home in that whole home office, Uh, but uh, we might be in for another adjustment. Tell us about when the pandemic's over and at least some of us begin returning to the office setting, if not, uh, you know, all of us in some fashion. uh, What's that going to look like and what kind of an impact is that going to have, you know, perhaps even on mental health, that uh, one more change? Well, you can start to actually look at what happens when you go to the grocery store right now. People are skittish around one another. I think when Mm -hmm. we go back to work, we are going to see that skittish behavior continuing. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be, we don't know how far away to stand. We're going to forget. We're going to start to move closer, and then we're going to pull ourselves back. So what I see is as a 10, 20, 30%, as the capacities start to increase and people get together, we are going to have to relearn socialization. We are going to have to return and relearn how to create great cultures. We're going to have to relearn how to do cooler small talk. But most important, and I think something that we all have to look at, is we need to start to mentor one another. It's about peer-to-peer mentorship. It's about mentee and mentor, because this is going to be a very uncomfortable position for all of us to be in because we've been so closed and with our own bubbles for now 15 months. Michelle, your book is called The Currency of Gratitude. So how does that concept of gratitude fit into the connection between that work life and home life? I am of the biggest belief that while gratitude journals are fabulous and starting your day off with gratitude is great, What my message is in the currency of gratitude is to put gratitude outside of yourself. Pay it forward. Give it away. Give it to someone else. Because when you give gratitude away, it comes back to you in spades. And I'm not talking just about the beautiful handwritten cards or email notes. I'm talking about active listening. I'm talking about showing up for someone who just needs space to be. I'm talking about giving someone that extra smile or a long distance virtual hug to let them know that they have contributed to your life and in some way, shape or form, you wanna let them know that, express it to them and make sure that they understand, again, that they matter and you care. 
Michelle, thank you so much for your time this morning. And uh, we can find out more at mbimybigidea.com. Is that right? Absolutely. Good stuff. That is Michelle Bailey, business owner and business coach. It's the law of attraction, right? What you what you put out there, you get more of. That's just the way it works. Commonsensical, but sometimes uh, the currency isn't so common. And I, I think what it gets down to is, and here's the way to simplify it. We all want to be around those people who seem, and you say, oh, they have an aura and an energy. No, they're they're in a good mood. Mm-hmm. And some, who knows what people are going through, but they exude it almost seems like confidence, but it always seems like you're uh, the life of the party. And I don't mean like, uh, you know, wearing a lampshade on your head, Sue, like you <laughs> do sometimes after the show. Fun. But I, I think that, yeah, if you're positive, people want to be around you. And when people want to be around you, you can make these connections and you uplift people. Um, so, I mean, I mean it's, is it work? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, as, as you may or may not know, especially if you have teens, it's much easier to complain <laughs> than to be positive about that. And you know what? Those people who are putting that vibe of being positive forward aren't necessarily always feeling super positive. No. You ha- sometimes have to work really hard at it, but you're right. People react to it. You get that positive back and then it's not so hard to be positive because yeah. it's a back and forth energy, right? And it really is. And I, I love that we're doing these Motivation Mondays and thank you to everybody who, you know, it's the list our listeners who kind of made this happen for us, but it's a great idea. So again, if you've got any book ideas yeah. or interview ideas for folks that we can chat with for Motivation Monday, send them in to us, text the book name, we'll see if we can get a hold of the author and get them on, because I, I love these. It just gives you a great new perspective, and and what a positive way to start the week. It's right? funny, yeah, because I think that's how it started. We had a, a great guest on who had authored a book like probably five, six weeks ago. It's been a while now, and people were texting in. So, yeah, that, well, it doesn't just, it, it, a book is great, mm-hmm. but whether or not it's a mantra or, you know, a certain, I hate the term guru, but a certain person that you sure. follow, yeah, let us know on the text line because hey if it helped you if it helped to change your life there's probably somebody out there who could use that push as well thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast don't forget to subscribe rate and review for free at apple podcast google play or wherever you find your podcasts and tune in to mornings with sue and andy from 5 30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 chqr